You are listening to National Security Law Today. Welcome to National Security Law Today, the podcast from the American Bar Association Standing Committee on Law and National Security. Our episode this week is going to be an excerpt from a webinar we recently held on women in intelligence law. This is also part of National Security Law's series recognizing the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment by shining a spotlight on 19 women who have contributed to the national security legal field. In this excerpt, you're going to hear first from the webinar moderator, Bonnie Jenkins, the founder and chair of Women of Color Advancing Peace, Security, and Conflict Transformation. And then, in order, you'll hear from Donna McEwen, the general counsel of the National Reconnaissance Office, Allison Stevens, the Acting General Counsel of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, Carol Cole, a Deputy General Counsel of the Central Intelligence Agency, Tisha Anthony, the Acting General Counsel of the National Security Agency, and Kristen St. Peter, the Deputy General Counsel of the Defense Intelligence Agency. If you like this excerpt and would like to hear the rest of the webinar plus the audience Q&A session, Visit us online at AmericanBar.org slash NatSecurity, where you can view a video of the whole webinar, including opening remarks from Cynthia Ryan, the immediate past chair of the Standing Committee on Law and National Security. So again, you can find us at AmericanBar.org slash NatSecurity for that video. Until then, enjoy this excerpt from a Women in Intelligence Law webinar. Um, Okay, so I'm going to ask some more specific questions. Um, So this is for Donna. Um, what is a typical day like in an Office of General Counsel in the intelligence community? Okay. Um, first, I just wanted to comment after hearing um, so much about everybody's careers that um, what seemed to be a common theme as well is that people have served in maybe more than one intelligence community organization. And I think that's extremely important. I think it helps us all appreciate our partner agencies and their missions and the importance of collaboration. I think that's invaluable. I think I've grown in my perspective since coming over to the NRO from CIA and um, I you know, noticed that everyone seems to have those experiences. So just wanted to comment on that. So, ha, huh, a typical day. Um, one thing I've learned, and um, forgive me for talking about CIA, I have spent, had spent most of my career there, but one thing I've learned um, is that there is no such thing as a typical day. Um, you should always expect the unexpected, um, especially at 4 or 5 p.m. on a Friday. But um, so there's no typical day except to say there are always meetings. These days with COVID, um, the meetings tend to be telephone conferences as opposed to in-person. Personally, I'm enjoying that a lot because I feel as if I have one ear in the meeting sometimes and I'm on my computer other times multitasking. I feel like I'm getting more done until I hear someone say, so Donna, what do you think? And I realize, oops, I'm not so good at multitasking. But um, it might help if I describe the mission of the NRO. I mean, I don't know how familiar the audience is with all of the intelligence community organizations, but the NRO is responsible for research and development, acquisition, launch, deployment, and operation of innovative, 
overhead intelligence systems for national security. So in popular layman's terms, we operate the spy satellites. And um, NRO itself was a secret organization until early, mid 1990s. So our mission heavily involves acquisition. And for that reason, contract law is a big area for us, um, including acquisition of major systems. And um, that's where a lot of the issues come up. Um, our workforce is diverse. We have DOD, civilian NRO cadre personnel. We have military uniform personnel. We have CIA personnel and we have contractors. Um, but we're a government agency. We're a DOD intelligence community agency. So on a daily basis, we deal with all of the issues that any government agency deals with, be it appropriation issues, personnel issues, litigation, privacy, FOIA, essentially, you know, the, the vast gamut of legal issues. Um, but like I said, it's a DOD and intelligence community organization. And for that reason, everything, um, even acquisitions, is more interesting or has a little intrigue to it, whether it's what's being bought or the mission it supports. And um, for that reason, I think that's what makes you feel um, a part of something bigger than yourself and that you're supporting things that really make a difference in the world. Um, so I'll leave it at that. Let somebody else chime in on a typical day at their agency. <laughs> Great, thank you so much, uh, Donna. Um, so now I have a question for Allison and Carol. Um, what principles guide you as you navigate these national security and COVID challenges? How do you lead? Um, you'd like to go first? Allison, uh, do you want to go first? I can, I can jump in. Okay. So um, I think this is a, this is a really important question, uh, especially when you're working in an intelligence community uh, element. Uh, to really have an understanding of what principles uh, guide you as you uh, as you go through your non-typical typical day. Uh, so what I would say is that NGA has um, five core values that it lives by. Um, it is it is uh, the values that it instills uh, upon coming into the agency. They are excellence, accountability, respect, teamwork, and honesty and not coincidentally, they spell earth. Um, they also can be rearranged to spell heart because we feel it's at the heart of the way that we provide uh, geospatial intelligence to um, our users. Uh, and, and NGA also has a, a very public facing mission in helping uh, the mariners at sea with safety of navigation. So, so having, uh, being grounded in those values is something that's that's really important. I would say that um, within NGA OGC, we've got 10 guiding principles. Uh, we've, we've put some thought into this. And because these principles are so important to us, we've written them down uh, and we train to them when uh, somebody on boards with, with our office. 
And so I'm just going to, I'm going to go through a couple of these because I think that they are illustrative of how we practice uh, in, in our office. Um, and, and the, the themes I think you'll, you'll find not just in NGA OGC, I, I think if you ask any of the, the panel members, they, they'd likely uh, concur on, on these principles. Um, the first one for us is really we have to advance the vision, right? You have to know the client. You have to know the client's mission. You have to know um, the priorities in order to lead in that organization. And so, you know, really understanding the client. You heard from a number of the panel members who uh, took non-legal jobs in their organization. And, and what better way to really understand how that client operates? I, I find that when you sit down with the client and they're whiteboarding, in your office, you get a better understanding of how to apply the law to the facts. Uh, and so advancing the, the vision of both NGA as well as the Office of General Counsel is important to us. Um, some of the other ones that, that really uh, resonate with us is to uh, cultivate and apply the expertise and judgment that you have, right? We, we have folks that are, have incredible backgrounds, incredible training, education, and experience and we want you to apply that in the office uh, in, in what you're doing. Um, you need to be, to be that leader in the office and, and ultimately um, differentiate yourself, right? So, so in your portfolio, you know, be a student of not just your practice area and your interest areas, uh, but also be that student of leadership. We want you to communicate effectively, uh, take initiative, treat everyone with respect, um, and and really having that respect for other opinions um, and uh, really the civility that is at the core of good legal practice, right? So we, we instill those uh, values as well as engender trustworthiness, operate as a team of teams, right? There's, there's lots of different ways that you can get the, the job done. Um, we are a highly collaborative office uh, and we build teams with the clients as well as different practice areas, uh, be accountable, be resilient. Um, and the resiliency is a, is a big deal right now. We, we had been talking about this before COVID and that's really to be able to take care of your physical, mental, uh, emotional, spiritual well-being, um, because that's who you show up as when you come into the office. And we want you to be grounded and, um, and, and take care of yourself. And we've been highlighting that all through the COVID posture, um, whether you're home on telework, whether you're coming into the office on a sporadic uh, uh, schedule. Um, what, we're, what we're looking for is for everyone really to make those smart decisions for themselves because that you bring the talent to our office uh, and we want you to be um, the, your best self. So integrating all of these if I say, how do, how do I, in particular, how do I lead? Um, I would say um, over the years, I've become a servant leader. I want to empower the office with the skills and the tools and the capabilities and the work environment in order to um, create those successes that they couldn't achieve on their own or, or that I couldn't achieve on my own in, in working together as that group. Um, and so... So that's, I'll stop there. Um, those are the, the, the principles that, that sort of ground us uh, and, and ground me. Thanks. Thank you, Allison. And, and before we go to Carol, I do want to welcome Tisha Anthony. So nice to see you. Thanks for joining us. 
Hi, thank you. Um, I guess it's ironic we had a little technical difficulties over here at the National Security Agency, but we're good now. <laughs> Apologize for that. We could see you, but um, apparently you couldn't see us. Well, we're glad. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Great. Was, we're so glad that you could be here. So um, we're going to be turning to you in a second, but I do want uh, Carol to uh, to respond to the question. I want to yes. Thank you. Thanks, Bon. Thanks, Body. And um, I'll I'll build a bit on uh, perhaps what Allison just mentioned because there's so much there's so much overlap. I would say, um, uh, but I'll start with my own personal philosophy. And and for me, a lot of it does go back to uh, my start at West Point. Um, and, and that verse and that very first year where we were we had to memorize what they call poop, um, and I, air quotes, uh, it's, uh, it's essentially information. Uh, it's slang for information. Um, and one of the things we had to memorize was General MacArthur's address to West Point cadets uh, back in 1962. And it was his famous duty, honor, country speech. Um, and it has, it has largely made such an impact on me. It has become my foundational touchstone and what leads me uh, just in terms of my own personal philosophy and then how I lead. Uh, but I wanna, I wanna read a little bit from, from that speech just because I think it's so powerful and, uh, and continues to apply today in so many ways. Um, but he said, duty, honor, country, those three hallowed words reverently dictate what you ought to be, what you can be, what you will be. They are your rallying points to build courage when courage seems to fail, to regain faith when there seems to be little cause for faith, and to create hope when hope becomes forlorn. Um, that, that has been large, by and large my, my sort of North Star, uh, pretty much for most of my, most of my life. Um, and so when I got to the agency, it was particularly heartening uh, to see that the agency's ethos had, had similar words, had built in similar language. Uh, the organization is incredibly mission focused and I'm sure Donna can attest to this as well, that it, it's so, you breathe it the minute you step into the building that there, it's it's a unity of purpose, uh, incredibly focused, and it drives it drives all of us on any given day. But uh, they felt so strongly about uh, the ethos uh, that they actually built it into uh, agency regulation. And so the key dimensions the key dimensions to the agency ethos are service, uh, integrity, excellence, courage teamwork and stewardship. Um, and specifically as it relates to service and why it resonated so strongly for me is it says, we put nation first, agency before unit and mission before self. We take pride in being agile, responsive and consequential. And I would say this, I would say the Office of General Counsel takes on those dimensions as well. Um, and we often say we often say not just in the agency but in the in the office uh, mission first people always 
Uh, and that can be more true, I would say, than uh, currently in this time of COVID, where um, I think it's, it's really been on display uh, by not only senior leaders, but all the way down to first line supervisors. Uh, I think they have taken that incredibly to heart and it's, it's been really nice to see from my perspective. But there's some key qualities, I would say, and I think Allison hit it, hit it when she talked about resilience uh, during a time of crisis. I think grit uh, is another key quality and it sort of embeds resilience in there. In fact, um, I, I've been reading uh, uh, the book called Grit uh, by Angela Duckworth um, uh, during this time frame. I haven't finished. I've only been halfway through. Uh, my day job tends to get in the way, um, but I, I do think it's, it's an important thing to think about. Uh, a couple of different other qualities, compassion and empathy. Um, you know, these are muscles that we tend to exercise on any given day, but I think, I think we, we've been doing it increase, increasingly more in, and, uh, in a way that we never, we never perhaps exercised it before. Uh, and I think it's been wonderful to see uh, from my perspective. Uh, and obviously teamwork uh, goes without saying. This is a team sport. Intelligence is a team sport. Obviously, with, with all these organizations, um, not only just these organizations, but the people within them, uh, teamwork is key. So I'll stop there, Bonnie. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Carol. Uh, so Tisha, um, one of the things that we did ask everyone, and we'd love to hear from you now, is if you could tell us about how you came to the practice, came to practice in the field of national security law. Thank you. I'd be happy to. And, and I actually was able to hear everyone's story. So, um, it, and, and I really enjoy uh, the fact that we do have, have, come, have come to the field in very different ways. And so I also need to start my story uh, before law school. So I graduated from college into a recession as a liberal arts major and didn't really know what I wanted to do and had a series of horrible jobs that I won't go into, um, but ultimately led me to the National Security Agency 30 years ago as an intelligence analyst. And I started in the intern program there um, and started, I got my job offer between the time I got my job offer and the time I started, there was a hiring freeze, the one that lasted a decade or more within the government. And within six months of starting, they were talking about reductions in force to the government workforce. And I may have been a new employee, but I understood last in first out meant I was going to be the first person out the door. And so I wasn't feeling particularly secure in my job and thought I needed a backup plan. And so I went to law school at night. And, uh, and what I didn't mention was I was married right out of college. And so I was married when I started um, at the agency and embarked on uh, working full time, going to law school at night. And at the beginning of my fourth year of, of law school, um, found out that I was pregnant. Um, and so I had my first child 10 days before my last final in law school. He was five weeks old when I graduated. And so being pregnant in law school and finishing up that career and having a job, I didn't really feel like I had unlimited possibilities as to what I was going to do. 
after law school and I was fortunate to um, at the agency, they allow um, sometimes for organizations to loan you to other organizations. So my analytic organization was kind enough to allow me to uh, work in the general counsel's office. And so um, I studied for the bar exam on maternity leave, came back to work, started in the general counsel's office as a law clerk. And then once I was sworn in as an attorney, um, was able to stay on in the general counsel's office. <laughs> and because of my intelligence analyst background, I was in the intelligence law section, um, which at the time at the agency was very small. There were only about five of us um, and worked intelligence law issues. Um, at some point during that time period, I was working intelligence issues that crossed over um, with a contract matters. And I felt like I needed to learn more about acquisition, and you've heard that from another a number of other folks as well. Um, so I moved, to, requested to move to do acquisition law, which at the agency at the time, people generally didn't ask to leave intelligence law and do acquisition. People were generally asking to move from other areas into intelligence law. So it took me a little while to persuade my management at the time that I actually seriously wanted to go um learn about contracts and um and um a big shout out to everyone who's in acquisition i mean it really is a critical part of the functioning of any government agency and you really need a lot of um there are a lot of great dedicated acquisition lawyers that help um keep the agency's mission running um so that was a, a great tour and then i did some work um on legislative matters uh, and then special intel work and then ended up in, in a leadership position. Um, I will say a lot of my decisions on my it, during, throughout my career really were tied to where I was from a personal standpoint, how old my kids were, I have three children, um, what did I think I could take on? And so there were leadership opportunities that I did not um, seek uh, because I didn't think I could manage those at the time. Um, the timing was right when there was an acquisition related leadership position that opened up that I thought I could manage given the age of my children um, and was fortunate enough to be selected for that position, which led to um, a, a deputy position and then um, the principal deputy job that I've had since 2014 and uh, I've been the acting general counsel since January. That's my story. Great. Thank you so much for, for sharing that with us. I think that's going to be really helpful also for many of our young our young folks listening. Um, so we have two more questions, then we're going to open to the audience because we have quite a few interesting questions that have come in. Um, this one is for Kristen. Um, what are some of your recommended resources for national security news and analysis? Okay, so that's that's a hard question, right? Because uh, everyone consumes news a little bit differently and they consume information from a variety of sources. And there are so many sources that I feel like I wouldn't necessarily do any anybody justice by saying this is what I read every day. But I wanna break that question into three types of information. I think starting with the intelligence community, it's important to understand what each agency in the community does. Because that's a, as it's been mentioned, we are a team of teams. We we work together. Uh, NSA's uh, the ears, NGA's the eyes, NRO helps them both. DIA 
collects and analyzes information on foreign military intelligence and has done, you know, 80 plus other missions. So in an unclassified setting, you can get a really good sense of well, what each agency does by just reading their statutes, articles about them, what their mission is, what they're focused on. Even, you know, when budget season comes around or the uh, annual threat assessment, if you watch that, you'll get a really good sense of what each agency does. So I think that that's important. The second type of information that I would, I would, that I partake of, that I avail myself of, that I uh, read, um, is for uh, current current events. I am very up to date on the news. I'm up to date on what's going on. In part because statecraft and foreign policy they inform spycraft. The priorities of what is going on around the world on any given day will dictate what it is the intelligence community is interested in for, for that moment, for right now. Now, we always have long-term objectives, but in the short term, we're always kind of watching what's going on around the world to figure out, okay, how, how should we arrange our assets in order to be able to understand what is happening in Africa, what is happening in Russia, what is happening in Asia. And so be caught up on current events. There's certain authors that we we like. I actually have um, a David Sanger book on my uh, nightstand right now, uh, The Perfect Weapon, which I'm sure Tisha is well aware of because it talks about NSA a lot. So th there are different there are different articles, there are different books that are in the now that you want to be aware of. Additionally, you need to understand that the future is going to be driven by scarcity. And by scarcity, what I mean is there's we only have one planet and we only have so much arable land, potable water, and energy. And so to the extent that you can learn about trends related to demography, related to immigration, related to uh, agriculture, um, these things which don't seem like they're national security related issues, they really are going to drive foreign policy and national security in the future because there will be conflict around scarcity. There will be immigration around scarcity. There will be different groups that rise and fall based upon their ability to control resources in any given part of the world. So in the long term, think about energy, think about potable water, think about arable land, because these are really the things that drive civilization. That plus technology. Thank you. That's an excellent answer, particularly uh, talking about these other issues. Um, it's something I, I actually teach a course at Georgetown and I talk a lot about how these other issues really are impacting not just security and not just peace issues, but national security as well. So thanks for thanks for chiming in on that one. Thank you for listening to National Security Law Today. Remember, if you liked this segment from the Women in Intelligence Law webinar, you can find the entire thing at AmericanBar.org slash NatSecurity. You can always find us there on Twitter at ABA NatSec, email us at NationalSecurity at AmericanBar.org. We welcome your feedback. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll come back to you next week with more content. The views expressed on National Security Law Today have not been approved by the House of Delegates or the Board of Governors of the American Bar Association and accordingly should not be construed as representing ABA policy.